Hear the word of the Lord from Galatians 1, 6 through 10. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we're gathered this morning in the name of Jesus because we believe that our hope and our salvation And our acceptance before you comes from him. Lord, we pray today that you would help each of us to receive this challenging scripture. as truth, that you would help us to understand it, that you would help us to believe it, and more importantly, Lord, that you would help us to live appropriately because of it. God, I pray over this room that by the power of your Spirit, you would speak. And in speaking, You'd save and redeem, give hope. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Friends, if you haven't done so already, uh, please take a Bible, turn to the book of Galatians chapter 1, which is where Brandy was just reading for us. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, um, there are some in the chair, under, right there, underneath the chair in front of you. Um, here at Redeemer, we are studying the book of Galatians. Uh, We started last week, and we're going to be working our way through um, Galatians together. Um, Our passage today is a challenging one. Uh, It's challenging because the Apostle Paul, the author of this letter, is clearly upset He clearly wants something better for these dear Christians in Galatia. But he's not exactly clear why he's upset. So that means that we need to learn the the importance and the, the unction of the passage. And at the same time, we have to wrestle with, but exactly why is Paul upset? And what do we take from this. So this morning, here's what we're going to learn. The good news 
of salvation through Jesus Christ is our only hope and our only life. The good news of salvation through Jesus Christ is our only hope, meaning there's no other hope. And our only life, meaning there is no other source of eternal life. There's no space to adjust the message. There's no space to manipulate the message. So the message of the gospel must be clear. It must be candid. And it must be proclaimed with conviction. And so Lord, I'm, I am praying that the Lord would help me today to be clear and candid and convictional. So if you're taking notes this morning, or before we take notes, really what's going on in Galatians 1, 6 through 10 is defining the problem that the entire book of Galatians um, is answering. So what's wrong here? What's wrong is people are adjusting and manipulating the message of Jesus. So if you want to take notes, our first point is deserting God. Deserting God. Now, letters in this Greco-Roman world, there was kind of a, a form for how they were written. And for the most part, Paul used that accepted form in his letters to his churches. And in every recorded letter in the New Testament from Paul, after that greeting in verses 1 through 5, we get a warm, encouraging, welcoming prayer for the church receiving the letter. In a normal Paul letter, you get something like this from Philippians 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Do you feel the affirmation in Philippians 1? Do you feel the encouragement of Philippians 1? Do you feel warm on the inside reading Philippians 1? No. Every letter, except Galatians, goes right there. But Galatians? No thanksgiving. No prayer. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the name, excuse me, in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Do you hear the tone of voice there? I'm astonished that you are deserting God. And the word for desert there is literally the same word that a Greek would have used to talk about a soldier deserting the army in battle. It's a word that would have been used to talk about someone starting a political revolt against the Caesar. It's a word that would have been used to speak of someone changing their religious affiliation. This is a strong word 
with intended strong consequences. So in the vernacular, we might look at this and say, Paul, why are you mad? The answer, because the gospel of Jesus is at stake. The gospel of Jesus cannot be toyed with played with. The gospel of Jesus cannot become our intellectual fancy that we find subtle, better ways to communicate it. The gospel of Jesus is what God has done for sinners through his son, and we do not get to play around with it. Paul is serious. You are quickly He hasn't said they've left the faith, but he says you're on the path of deserting God. To desert the gospel of Jesus is to turn one's back on God. God sent his son to redeem and save at great cost to himself, and to reject his son is to reject God. Then Paul goes on, verse 8. We or an angel from heaven should preach to you another gospel. Let him be accursed. Verse 9. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And the word accursed literally means accursed. It means to be cut off from God's saving power. Paul used the same word in Romans 9, chapter 9, verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, a lot of you are going, dude, but what is the false gospel? Just just pause. We're going to go there, okay? We're going to go there. But for right now, this is the point I'm trying to drive home. Paul is angry because he's genuinely concerned for the Galatians. Paul's angry because he's genuinely concerned for the gospel message that is being proclaimed. Paul is angry because he's genuinely concerned that these dear people who have received the good news of Jesus not be deceived into believing or proclaiming another gospel. And I hope that the the intensity of the words deserting and accursed and accursed would communicate to us that this is no trivial matter. This is not one of those things where Paul's going to sit down and say, hey, I think we probably just need to agree to disagree. But rather, he's going to say, No, we have to dig deeply into this matter and understand it well. Now, I would say to you that there are five and a half more chapters that are written to help us dig into this matter and help us understand it. And we're going to be navigating that together over the next several months. But before we look a little further at what is the problem, let's just take take heed and let's take lesson from the tone and the intensity of Paul's pen. What we see in these five verses of Scripture is that there are errors of 
message that can separate us from proclaiming and believing God's gospel. There are errors of such magnitude to adopt them is to distance oneself from and to take up another gospel. We'll talk more about this in just a minute, but just just understand we have to make a mental category for there are disagreements of such biblical magnitude that they are contrary to what God has revealed and we cannot make peace about those things. Okay? As a side note, I would also argue that most Southern evangelical Christians need a smaller list of those things rather than a bigger list of those things. And I just about fell off the stage, so that's another issue altogether. <laughs> But we must take from this, there is a category of truth that to reject that truth is to reject the gospel and to reject God himself. And then we should pray, Lord, keep us from those errors. Lord, keep us from being deceived in such a way. A second takeaway. There is a form of confrontation rooted in love that is not sinful. There's a form of confrontation that's rooted in love that is not sinful. Anybody here besides me averse to conflict, like just doesn't like it? Anybody? All right. Sometimes the world should learn from us. Like everything's not worth fighting about. Amen. But we must take from these verses that there are, that it is possible to do confrontation with a motive of love that's actually not only needed, but good and glorifying to God. We just have to make that space and that category. Now, again, if I was speaking to most Southern evangelicals, I would say you need a smaller list of things rather than a bigger one. But the category is a biblical one. Everybody with me here? Okay. Third, the substance of the gospel deeply matters. The substance of the gospel deeply matters. Matters. Guys, Paul's upset about words. He's upset about messages. He's upset about things being added on. The substance of the gospel deeply matters. Here's the substance of it. We're going to go back just a few verses. Chapter 1, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The substance of the gospel is that peace with God only comes through Jesus who died 
to deliver us from sin and die to deliver us from the present evil age as he restores all things according to the will of God the Father and for his glory. That's the message. And the substance of that message matters. So then what's going on in the churches of Galatia is that message is being distorted. It's being twisted. And the gospel is at risk of being lost. So that pushes us to our second point, another gospel. What is going on in the Galatian churches? Let's, let's read again. Again, now we're not looking at tone, but we're looking at what he says. I, I, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. So verse 6 says, Paul's concerned that the Galatians are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, that sounds con conflicting, doesn't it? Turning to a different one, but there's not a different one. Just know this. The word gospel wasn't originally a church word. It just meant good news. It meant message of good news. And so he's saying, look, there's only one message of good news. It's Christ and what Christ has done for his people. But I'm amazed that you are sacrificing that good news for some other good news. But remember, the only real good news is what Christ has done for his people. Verse 8, people are preaching a gospel contrary to the one Paul preached to them. See verses 3, 4, 5. Verse 9, people again are preaching a gospel contrary to the one received through Paul. And then verses, verse 10, Paul says, look, the gospel message is not about the approval of man, but it's about the approval of God. So Paul is concerned that the Galatians are turning to another gospel. Now, the question of the hour is, what's this distortion? What's the other gospel? In the book of Galatians, Paul never clearly tells us. They all seem to know it, but we have to work and dig to find it. I mean, this is where we're like, wouldn't it be nice if Paul had an editor who was like, dude, you need a footnote right there? That'd be good. So we're going to work to find it. Um, I, I could give you the um, I give you the hour-long version, but I'm going to try to give you the five-minute version. What is the distortion? So first of all, as we've already looked, in Galatians 1, 3 through 5, Paul makes clear what is the true gospel. God sent his son Jesus to give himself for our sins, and to deliver us from the present evil age, to fulfill God's plans and glorify his name forever. This is the gospel. Now, after lots of up and down, Paul finally gives us a clear statement in the negative. And this is in Galatians chapter 6. Turn over there.
Galatians chapter 6, beginning in, in verse 11. I believe this is the distortion. See with what large letters I am writing to you in my own hand. Now, now let's do a little aside. Letters at this time were often um, spoken by the author and written by an assistant, okay? So much like you would see an important person um, in the political sphere, they would speak their letters and someone else would transcribe them and write them. So notice what Paul does here. He says, I took the pen. I took the pen. This is the point. And I'm doing it in big letters like you're in kindergarten. This too is the point. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. What's Paul saying? He's saying that, <coughs> that the, the, the distortion of the gospel is arguing that circumcision and adherence to Jewish custom and submission to the law of Moses was required for someone to come to Jesus. This is a bit nuancy. But it matters. This is basically the argument, if I can make it as simple as I can. The distorted gospel was this, that a pagan Galatian needed to become a Jewish convert before they could become a Christ follower. And Paul says, no, the message of the gospel is that all a pagan Galatian needs is Jesus to be redeemed. Now that's subtle stuff, isn't it? The distinction is, do Gentile pagan people have to become Jewish so they can believe in Messiah? Paul says, no, all they need is Messiah. Now, those of you that want to put on your thinking caps and be pushed a little further, here we go. I think that's the way to read Galatians. The problem is this. The problem, the distortion, is that one must take on circumcision, adherence to Jewish customs, and submission to the law of Moses to become a Christ follower, to which Paul is saying, no. I would also argue that in Acts chapter 15, the leaders of the church are settling the argument of the distortion in Galatia. The distortion in Galatia wasn't just in Galatia. It was widespread. And in Acts chapter 15, after Galatians is written, they are settling the question. So this is Acts chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Some men came down from Judea, 
and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's the clearest statement we're going to get. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So when they get there, Peter stands up and says this. Brothers, you know that in the early days, this is Acts 15 verse 7. You know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us, the Jewish Christ followers, and them, the Gentile Christ followers, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So what I'm saying is what's clearly laid out here in Acts chapter 15. Salvation is through Christ applied to the heart by faith and nothing else. One is called a child of God, one is forgiven of sin, one is welcomed into the kingdom, one receives the Holy Spirit, one has eternal life only through the death, burial, and resurrection, and that which it purchased on behalf of those who would believe applied to the heart by faith, period. And we add nothing to it, add nothing to it, and take nothing away from it. So Paul said, so I am arguing and will be arguing for the next few months that the question addressed in Acts 15 is the issue of the churches in Galatia. So you might say, well, if Acts 15's there, why Galatians? Because when Galatians was written, Acts 15 hadn't happened. It was a real, pressing, tangible reality. And for us to walk through the Galatian problem, we'll get to some present problems as well. But what we need to take from these five verses this morning is our gospel message Our message of hope is this. Sinful people need a Savior, and the only Savior is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who offered his life as a payment for sin and to offer righteous, eternal life to all who are connected to him through faith. We need faith in Christ to change who we are and nothing else, period. That's the declaration. Now, I have two points of application for us. Three, actually. Number one, let's be determined to take Paul seriously and be people who stand on the gospel of Jesus alone. Let's be people who stand on the gospel of Jesus alone. That means there is no moral preparation required to meet Jesus. 
That means there are no external performative prequel standards, prerequisite standards required to meet Jesus. They're not there, so let's add none. You know the story of the last moments of Jesus' life? He's on a cross. There's two criminals beside him. One of them's deriding him and mocking him, and the other one says, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Any of us read that and go, man, that's not fair. Besides me, I'll be honest. That's not fair. No, but there's nothing about the gospel that's fair. The good news is none of us get what we deserve. We all get God's blessing. We all get deliverance that we don't deserve and cannot earn because Jesus gave it to us. Cling to that. Stand on that and add nothing to it. So if you're here today wondering how you might become connected to Christ, consider the gospel of Jesus. Major on Galatians 1, 3, 4, and 5. Ponder it and ask this question. Could Jesus die for me? Could Jesus take away my sin? Could Jesus make me alive? And our resounding answer is, yes, look around. Look around. Second, I would like to ask the whole world, but I have no influence over the whole world, so I would like to ask you to stop using this phrase. Blank is a gospel issue. Heard this recently? Race is a gospel issue. COVID is a gospel issue. Masking is a gospel issue. Elections are a gospel issue. This stuff flies around all the time. What if we stop, just stop using the phrase? Because none of us mean what it sounds like we mean. None of us are saying that your view on fill in the blank will separate you from God. What we, I think, are saying is that God cares about these issues and his people should care about these issues too. So why don't we say that instead of trying to use this truncated thing that confuses what I'm going to call and what Galatians is going to call life by the Spirit with becoming a Christ follower, the gospel. You'll notice that Paul's going to spend the back half of Galatians telling Christians what their lives should look like. But he's not saying that those behaviors are the ground of their justification. He's saying those behaviors flow from the Spirit who's received by faith. So our gospel message is the grace of God extended through the blood of the Son of God applied by faith is the only hope for any sinner anywhere and always. That's the gospel. And our message is those who receive Jesus receive the Spirit, and we're called to keep in step with the Spirit. So here's all I'm saying. Let's not become the Christians who bury our heads in the sand, forget that there's a fallen world all around us, and just say, get as many people saved as we can, get as many people saved as we can, get as many people saved as we can. I'm saying let's care about the world. Let's care about the broken. Let's care about the hurting. Let's display the love of Jesus. Let's do it freely 
But let's use clear language and let's say this is a part of our life by the Spirit. This is a part of us walking in wisdom. And God cares deeply about these things, and I'll care deeply about these things. But I'm just saying what I see right now is the church of Jesus firing rifles at each other, but they're missing the point. They think they're fighting over the gospel because we keep saying things like, everything's a gospel issue. And one side hears, if you don't live just like me, you can't go to heaven. And the other side says, no, 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 Galatians 1. And neither side really means that. All we mean is God cares deeply about these things. The scriptures speak to these things. And those who are filled by the Spirit should care about what God cares about, should walk in his ways and glorify him. And if you're the one going, yeah, Jamie, preach that. That's Galatians 4, 5, and 6. Come on back. But today is none of that care and none of that behavior and none of that alignment and none of that performance will earn us standing before the Lord. Christ did it. And Christ made us new creations. We are not what we once were. Now walk with that spirit and be different. So you're like, Jamie, why are you straining out a gnat here? I'm straining out the gnat because let's reserve the phrase gospel for the gospel. And we can find other words for care about real issues, care about ethical issues, care about things in the real world. Well, we can find other words for that, but let's save the phrase gospel for the gospel. One of the worst things that's happened in the last 15 years is the word gospel has become a Christian cliche. You can use it as an adjective and a verb and an adverb and a noun, and you can buy a book called The Gospel-Centered, Gospel-Shaped, Gospeling People of the Gospel Church. I just made that up, but does anybody know what that means? No. <laughs> you could probably write it too, right now in about 30 seconds. I know we're late. Can we have, do we have time for a funny aside? Thursday morning, I was, I was in a coffee shop here in town, and the person I was going to meet with was running late. And um, this young lady, she was about 25, she sat down beside me, and she was very chatty, and I, I'm not very chatty. Um, <laughs> But she was very chatty, and um, she introduced herself, and she said, um, I, I am a publicist for Christian authors. Oh, cool. So we're talking, and I, she's like, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor, and I think I'm the only pastor I know with no desire to write a book. And she said, oh, bless you. You're the only one. <laughs> she said, most of y'all have nothing to say. So let's be a people who cling to the gospel of Jesus and nothing else. And let's be a people who are careful enough in our language to not confuse the gospel with real, present, meaningful, tangible questions of the day. And let's glorify God in all things. So now our Father and our God,
as much as what's been said today would honor your name, would you cause it to be remembered and to be heard? Would you open the hearts of anyone in this room who are far from you to receive Christ and be redeemed? And would you help us all find a renewed joy in the hope of our salvation? We pray this in Jesus' name.